With that, let's uh, grab our Bibles and our outlines and as we continue in our series that we've entitled Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, we've been looking at this four-part series, uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and uh, looking at how Jesus has been teaching us to turn our lives upside down for Him and, and for His glory. And over these uh, past months, I mean, it's been since the uh, uh, beginning of fall, we've been looking at this uh, three-chapter uh, sermon, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, many believe, because it's preached by Jesus. And Jesus has been teaching us on a, a myriad of, of issues and topics and, and subject matters, and, and all of them encompass the totality of who we are as, as human beings and our human existence. And he's taught on our relationship with God, and we've learned about how we are to relate to our God and Father in heaven. And we've, he's taught us about how we are to relate to one another and how we are to show humility and love and compassion and and uh, and he'll continue to teach us on the importance of uh, of uh, serving and loving others as we ourselves would want uh, to be loved and and then he's taught us uh, about our relationship with ourselves and and he's focused in on this and and will in this what we have called the fourth part of this series looking at our aspirations and we're going to learn about the things that we desire, the things that we long for. And, and here's the problem with uh, our relationship with ourself. We are quick and, and uh, we are easily able to deceive our, ourselves. And for many of us, we think we're doing quite well uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are, in fact, meeting the mark of righteousness that Christ has called us to when in fact we're missing it. And Jesus is going to, at the end of chapter 6 and into chapter 7, over and over again remind us that we are in fact missing the mark. And the way he does it is by reminding us about our aspirations. If you look at the screen uh, to the side of me, you will notice that um, this is the issue that Jesus is going to address. Who's first place? Who's number one in your life? And and, and we have learned... uh, Last week, that money can't be it. The stuff of this world can't uh, be on that uh, gold medal stand, if you will. But that it has to be Christ. It has to be him and his kingdom and, and his righteousness. And last week, we learned about money and the stuff of this world. And this week, we're going to learn about the issue of worry and anxiety. And uh, how that is a litmus test to what is truly leading us and, and guiding us. We learned last week that your treasure tells you where your heart is. And likewise today, a spirit of worry and anxiety in the life of the believer is a testimony to the lack of faith and trust in the God whom you profess. So you may have already this morning sung the praises of God and, and said he is greater and, and more powerful than all things. You may say that, that he is the one who not only has taken care of our sins in the past, but one day on that glorious day uh, will bring us and bring all, under, all things under his feet. And we may pronounce that, but if worry and anxiety are a part of our lives, it nullifies the singing of those songs because we are in our heart not living those truths out. And so our text today is going to be something that just over and over again articulates this truth for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Don't worry or don't be anxious, but trust Jesus. Don't worry, don't be anxious, but trust Jesus. And 
knowing there's a lot to worry about. I, I know that we could spend a, an hour just going around the pews and, and talking about the things that are concerning us. Some of you right now find yourself today just looking at the clock, knowing that tomorrow's coming, that deadline, that issue, that struggle, that, that thing that, that continues to bother you. Where are you going to come up with the money? Where are you going to come up with the time, the energy to address that thing? And it's driving you crazy. And today is a day where God wants us to hear him say, don't worry, trust me. So with that, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and I'll read that passage for us. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our passage on page 811, page 811 in the Pew Bible, in the Pew Rack in front of you. Uh, Let's hear what Christ has to say to us this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. Neither they, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, or sufficient Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father God, we pray your blessing on the reading of your word, the preaching of it, the hearing and applying of your word. Lord, empower the preacher, empower the hearer this morning. For Lord, we come before a text that is true of far too many of us. Let us cast our anxieties on you because you care for us knowing that you are the one who provides and the one who gives all that we need. Let us be content with that, Lord, as we look to the creation and are reminded of your providential care. Let us place ourselves in your hands and turn away this enemy of worry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. There are three points I want to look at this morning. I want to jump right into the outline. And and the first point that we want to look at as we examine this issue of anxiety and worry that Jesus brings up in the text is, is first of all, we must figure out our foe. We must figure out our foe. 
Like any good boxer who enters the ring, he takes a moment to size up his competition, to look over his opponent. And today as we enter the ring once again in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings before us an opponent, a, a competitor, a, a, an enemy that isn't small by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, when we look across the ring and we see anxiety and worry in the other cor- corner, it causes us nothing but anxiety and worry because it is a massive foe that is before us. You see, worry is something that is uniquely, I'm sorry, that is not unique to any one of us in particular. It is seemingly a universal trait that we have, whether we're young or old, male or female alike. Worry and anxiety impacts the rich and the poor, healthy and unhealthy, all in the same way. And surveys tell us that we have an issue with regards to anxiety and worry. Doctors tell us that half of all people in America's hospital beds are there as a result of a worry or concern. 43% of all adults suffer health effects due to worry and stress. Worry has been linked to all kinds of issues and struggles, including heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis, and even the issue of suicide. On a lesser level, worry and anxiety affects our job performance. An estimated one million Americans will be absent from work tomorrow because of worry-related complaints. Worry is is responsible, it is said, for more than half. That's 275 million workdays that are lost on an annual basis here in America because of absenteeism. 43% of all employee turnover is related to job anxiety and worries. Who can forget the mental distress that's caused by worry? Add to the list mental fatigue because of nights without sleep, days without peace, and you get a glimpse of the havoc that worry and anxiety can play in destroying not only the quality of our lives, but the quantity of life as well. And you say, well, that's very true. But the sad reality is, is that far too many Christians are trapped in this mindset of worry and anxiety. And this is not good for the people of God. This is not good for children of the king. And you would think that Jesus might take a hammer and wail on us and just say, stop doing this. But here's what Jesus does. He so lovingly calls us to stop living life the way the world does. And he asks us and he calls us and he commands us to start living in light of of who he is. And in light of what he has done for us. And while we may know that in our heads, it has not been embraced and engaged in our entire being. And so as we approach this issue of worry and anxiety, we have to understand a couple things. And so let's first of all, even before we start filling the blanks, start understanding some things about anxiety and worry. First of all, how it's defined. Webster defines worry as a state of anxiety or uncertainty over actual or potential problems. The state of anxiety or certainty over actual or potential problems, that's a good definition. But the Bible helps us so much more in giving us a more deeper and more robust understanding of this enemy of worry and anxiety. The Bible reminds us that worry literally means to take thought of. It means to consider. Now, that sounds pretty benign. That sounds, in fact, pretty good. 
but it goes further than that because it speaks of taking thought of or considering two things at the same time. And so worry always is viewed out of a double-minded thought or attitude. And, and there's a problem with that because if we are double-minded in that, then it creates a problem for the worrier. Number one, it, it, it right away tells us that if we are worrying, we are living in contradiction to the Word of God because Jesus has just told us in the passage that we spoke on last week that you can't serve two masters. And worrying is dealing with the uncontrollable and the things uh, that are unknown instead of dealing with the things that are right before you. And so you're conflicted. You find yourself divided. And Jesus says you can't do that. You're either going to pursue worry and, and serve the, the master of worry, or you're going to serve Christ. The second thing that we need to be aware of is that worry uh, means we're double-minded. In the Bible, in the book of James, it tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. And just so think back to the last time you were anxious or, or worried about something. How unstable were you? That the circumstances of life could take your joy and rob you of your peace and, 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 and destroy the hope that you have. You see, here's the problem with worry. The worrier tries to do two impossible things. They try to live in the future, which is neither here nor is it his. Now remember that. You're trying to deal with something that isn't here right now. You can't grab a hold of the future. Jesus makes this clear. Nobody knows what a day might bring. And it's not yours. God has not given you ownership to the future. So when you worry, when I worry, we're dealing with two things we can't touch. And so understand when Jesus tells us not to worry, what is inherent and assumed within it is what Jesus is saying is this, and please hear me. There is nothing that can be done or that any amount of worrying will do to affect what's concerning you at this moment. There's none. You can't change it. You can't fix it. It's in the future. And Jesus is going to remind us that the future is both unknown and uncontrollable by human beings. So we have a choice. We can either worry or we can trust Jesus. And the Bible tells us in this passage that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they've made their choice. They're going to worry and they're going to they're going to allow their hairs to grow white and, and, and for some others, their hairs to fall out of their heads. Okay? But that's not the choice of the believer. The choice that the believer must choose is to trust Jesus. Vance Havner once spoke in his own unique wit that worrying is like a rocking chair. It always gives you something to do, but you never get anywhere. That's a good word. Corey Tenboom put it this way. And she, if you know the story of Corey Tenboom and her family, they had much to worry about as they were being pursued by the SS uh, troops in Nazi Germany. Corey Tenboom said this to us with regards to worry Worry is an old man who's carrying around a load of feathers, thinking they are led. Let me say that again. Worry is an old man who's carrying around a load of feathers thinking they are led. 
What feathers are you allowed to become led in your life? What issues, what struggles, what concerns have you allowed to go from a healthy place to an unhealthy one? Because worry uh, goes from being something that is a normal experience into life to interfering into all areas of our life. You see, what worry does is becomes a fog in our life and we can't get a handle on it and we can't figure it out and we can't bring understanding or logic or, or rational thought around it. And the devil absolutely loves it when you're worried. He wants you to become disorientated. He wants you to become lost in your own thoughts of anxiety and worry. But God has not called us to live that way. He's called you and I to be victorious. He's called you and I to be active in our ministry for him. And so as we look to the word this morning, we pray that God would open up our eyes to the worries that we have. Name them. Set them out and say, this is a worry that I have. This is an anxiety I have, and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And pray then that as a result of giving that over to God, that you'll be able to do what God has called you to do, and that is to seek first his kingdom and to pursue it first and foremost in your life. But to do that and to understand what we're to get rid of and what we are to keep, There's some disclaimers that need to take place. So write these down. As we look at our foe of worry and anxiety, we have to rule some things out. And so first of all, we need to understand that worry does not rule out contemplation. Three times in our text, we are going to see the phrase, do not worry. But with all the things, we must use our minds to understand what that means. And what is God saying? Because he, he gives a prohibition. I don't want you to do these things. Well, Jesus, what, what is it you don't want us to do? Well, I don't want you to worry. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I can't have any concern for the future, any planning or thinking about what I may do? And, and there were a lot of people that, that assumed that this passage was saying that. And one of the reasons why was the King James translation of the Scripture, which was used for such a long time. Had, you, had, had this as their translation of this passage. Take, therefore, no thought of the morrow. And as a result of that, there were preachers that would say any thoughts or plans about tomorrow are, are simply unspiritual and unbiblical. But as we look through the Scriptures, we find out that it is a God whom we've come to know who has planned all things from the beginning in creation to the very ending of human history and the beginning of eternity. God has those things all planned. We know that Jesus spent his entire ministry living out the plans of the Father in heaven. That the planning of his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection and even his ascension was all according to the plans prepared for by God the Father. We know that Jesus prepared and planned for his disciples in their eventual taking over of the ministry that Christ would give them. In Luke chapter 14 verses 28 through 33, Jesus speaks of the wisdom That comes when a man who is building a tower or a king who is going into battle plans accordingly and is ready for all contingencies. And he likens that to our own thoughtful and careful understanding and pursuit of discipleship and the following of Christ Jesus. So, as we approach this issue of worry and anxiety, it's not speaking about planning. 
And what I want to articulate is it's not a sin to have insurance. It's not a sin to plan for retirement. It's not a sin to have hopes and dreams. So what is it? Well, let's notice that it's not something else. It's not concern. It's not having concerns. You see, it's very good for us to be concerned about things. It's good to be concerned about our families, our well-being. It's good to be concerned about that which is going on in our world and to stop and take pause. It's okay for us even to allow those concerns to help guide our decisions that we make for tomorrow. In fact, I might add that there is a real lack in the evangelical world of, of some needed concern in our life. You see, we think, especially here in America, that we are guaranteed a tomorrow just like today, with the same job and the same health and the same family and the same comforts. Yet Jesus tells us over and over again that we don't know what tomorrow might bring. And so that there is a difference between healthy concern and unhealthy worry and anxiety. And here, just to help you understand why concern is okay, Jesus himself showed concern. On the cross, Jesus was concerned for his mother's well-being. And if you remember, while hanging on the cross, he looks down at at John, his beloved disciple, and he says to John, Behold your mother, and behold, mother, your son. Jesus was concerned about his mother's well-being. Like a good son, he says, I want to make sure my mom is ministered to, that she's nurtured and cared for as she advances in years. And he looks to one of his youngest disciples, and he says, Hey, take care of her, minister to her, be her provider. And so Jesus shows care and concern. And Jesus is not going against his words of worry. He wasn't anxious about it, but he was concerned. So then what are we to know about this issue of worry and anxiety? It begins by being conflicted. It begins by being conflicted. Again, James tells us that when we are double-minded, we are like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. And so then that begs the question this morning, Are the things that you're concerned about, are they driving you? Are they bringing you back and forth? Are they playing with your emotions? Are those worries bringing uh, thoughts of, of great anxiety to your life? Are you using godly sense and scripture? Or are the circumstances of life that which is leading you in this world? It's an issue of being conflicted. But here's the thing. Worry and anxiety doesn't just stay in a conflicted spot. And you cannot serve two masters, so you cannot go back and forth from one to the other. No, you'll hate the one and love the other. And this is what happens when we give ourselves to worry and anxiety. It causes us to be consumed. You see, whatever you're facing, whatever plans or or things you're concerned about, no matter how noble they may be, no matter how grand they may be, even from a spiritual place, the sin of worry comes when it begins to consume your thoughts. So when we speak about worry, we're talking about a failure to understand God's provision and protection for us and his promise that he has given to us, his children. And for the Christian, it takes away our hope, it steals our joy, and it destroys our peace. You know, the Bible talks about worry and anxiety 22 different times. How do we deal with it? And the answer is is we must encounter worry face to face. We must encounter this enemy 
face to face. You see, once we've brought worry into focus and we need to step up and ask the question, well, what can worry do to the life of the believer? See, if we don't deal with this anxiety and worry, we'll suffer loss. And so Jesus tells us that there are three things that will happen when worry and anxiety lead us and guide us. And notice in the text that what we've dealt with right now is the three times Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Well, why now, Jesus? Because number one, anxiety or worry causes us to be unfaithful to our focus. It causes us to be unfaithful to our focus. Notice verse 25. He says the following, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. And he asked this question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let's stop there for a moment. Jesus is reminding us here in verse 25 a truth that we learned last week. Notice, go back into the passage, and the truth is in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so Jesus is saying, okay, if you're worrying about what you eat or what you drink, if you worry about what you wear, then you're worried about earthly treasures. You're concerned about the things that that can be eaten, the things that can be destroyed, the things that people can, can steal away from you. And that's not your focus. That's not your purpose in life. You were not brought here to worry about such things. No, you were, wor- you were brought here for something greater than worrying about day-to-day provisions. You were here to pursue the kingdom of God. You see, we're not to store up treasures in heaven. I'm sorry, we're not to store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. That's what we've been given to, to the eternal, not the temporal. And Jesus says, if that's your worry, the day in and day out circumstances of life, then you have built into your life treasures on earth, not treasures in heaven. And you see, notice Jesus ends that passage before, and you say, well, why do you keep going back to the passage before? Because Jesus begins this passage with the word therefore. we got to connect it to what it was there for. we got to connect it back to the preceding passage. And Jesus is asking this question. You want to know if you're pursuing earthly treasures or, or, or eternal treasures? Well, who's your master? Well, who are you worried about? You see, a spiritual person is worried about his God in heaven. An earthly person is worried about the circumstances here on earth. And so what are you most worried about? What are you most anxious about? What are you most concerned about? If it's the stuff of this world, then your master is this world. If it's the stuff of God, then it will be your master who is in heaven that you're most concerned about. You see, we're going to choose one or the other. And worry is a great reminder. Now you may say, Tim... My worries are small. They're, they're, they don't happen very often. And they're on the small stuff of life. But notice what Jesus says. Do not be anxious about your life. That Greek word there is suke, life. And it gives a picture of the all-inclusive everything. And so what he's saying is, is that you can't worry about anything in this world. Nothing. 
Stop being anxious about anything that this world may have. You say, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? No. Depends. If you see the things of this world as more important than the things of God. You see, what, what God is wanting to do and what Christ is teaching us is he's saying, take your focus off of the earthly things. Stop that. Don't, don't go there and put your focus on one thing. My kingdom and my righteousness. And you're going to have to choose between those, church. You're going to have to choose, am I going to worry about life and work and marriage and jobs and, 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 and money? Or am I going to worry about the kingdom of God and put my attention and my focus there? How ironic that the word for anxiety or worry is an old Latin term that literally means to strangle or to choke. You see, for many of us, for many of us, we're being strangled on seeking the kingdom of God because we're worried about the things of this world. We're worried and anxious about what will come. And for many of us, we've given up our service to God to service our worries. And here is where it comes down to. Who is your master? Who is your Lord? Are you going to serve your worries? Because when you worry, hear me out, when you worry, you kick Jesus off of the throne and you put yourself in the throne. You say, God, you can't deal with it, so I will. And I'm going to tell you that this is something that needs to be taught in the church over and over again. And that is the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's in charge. You see, I struggled with worry. As a young man, I was a perpetual worrier, and there was much to worry about. I was a new husband, a new father. I was new at running a catering business, and I was new at, at leading and pastoring a church. There was much to worry about, and you wonder why I'm bald today, and the very few hairs I have are gray. I had a lot to worry about. And I remember it used to keep me up at night. What if this happens, and, and, and what if that happens, and, and what are we going to do if this takes place, or, or that takes place? And the what-ifs absolutely killed me as a young man. And I remember one night in the middle of the night just being filled with anxiety and, and concern and, and worry, and just flipping through the passages of Scripture, I came upon this text in my reading. And it changed, and I'll never forget how it changed me and the truths I learned from it. Write this passage down, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 15. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 15. Let me read it to you, and then I will stop at different points and tell you what I've learned and how it's impacted my worry. Here's what 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 15 say. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. I don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to understand that what God is saying there is I'm the owner of all things. Everything in heaven and on earth is God's. And so if he owns it, then it's his responsibility. It's his issue. It's his struggle. He's the one that has to deal with it. He's the one that has to work through that. This last summer I had to uh, um, talk with one of my employees and, 
And it was really bothering me that I was going to have to talk with them, not because they were doing a bad job. They were doing a good job, in fact, too good of a job. And here's why. When we went on the job, they wanted to do my job. They wanted to go and, and, and worry about the things I needed to worry about and, and deal with the things I needed to deal with instead of dealing with the stuff that they needed to deal with. And you see, some of us have forgotten that God's the owner and we've put in our lives the thought that we are to do and worry about the things he's worried about. And so we worry about the future and we worry about other people and we worry about circumstances that are out of our control and we kick God out of the throne and we say, well, I'll deal with it. And God says, hey, I'm the owner of this. I'm the one who owns heaven and earth and everything in it. So stop doing my job. There's a reason why I'm God and you're not. You see, when we try to do God's job, we will never do our job. And you see, many of us are not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we're trying to do his job. Notice the second truth I learned. The passage goes on. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. I needed to know not only was God the, ru- or the owner, but the ruler of all things. He's in charge. He's going to do things as he will do things. And, and so I need to stop worrying. If God's in charge and God owns everything, then I just need to focus in on what I need to focus in on. That is to seek the greatness of God and to exalt him and worship him day and night and not worry. And thirdly, I, that evening I came to this. Now, O oh God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. That's your job. That's seeking first the kingdom. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? How is it that I can seek your kingdom? How can I seek your righteousness, Christ? Because everything, the passage says, comes from your hands. And we have given you only that what comes from your hand. God is the owner, he is the ruler, and he is the provider. He gives. And when we worry, we put into contempt the thought that God is not each of these things. And so God says, why do you worry? I own it all. I rule it all. And I've given you everything that you need. And I began to sit there in that late evening asking the question, then what in the world is there to worry about? If this is my God, then the only thing I am called to do is to honor and exalt his holy name. And when I worry, I cannot do that. So notice it is that which will take away our focus. And here's why. Because when we worry, it's unnecessary because of the Father we have. Now get into the text. Jesus gives some examples. And he gives examples that that it should be so clear. Man, my children understand these examples, and yet we miss them all the time. Notice in verse 26, we are told the following. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than 
Are you of not <clears throat> of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his own span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither, they neither uh, spin nor toil. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, who you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Notice at the last part of verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus uses the examples of that which is greater to lesser and lesser to greater. He says, okay, you're important to me, people. You're more important to me than the birds of the air. In Jesus' day, and I wonder when Jesus is preaching this, this part of the passage, if he looks up and sees a tree and he sees some birds in the air, and birds were, were small, they were small in the grand economy of Jesus' day. You could buy five birds for two, two coins. I mean, that, that, that's pretty inconsequential. And then he goes on to the lilies of the field, and he must have pointed out to the, the valley or the side of the mountain where they were speaking from. And he says, look at the lilies. Look how beautiful they are. And these small things, these lilies and these birds, they don't worry. They don't have anxiety. Why? Because they know God is the owner, and God is the ruler, and God is the provider. And here you are, man, the, the king of creation. God has indwelt you with his spirit. He's given you knowledge. He's given you emotion. He's given you all of this. And you are far grander than the lilies of the field. You are far grander than the birds of the air. And yet you worry. And don't you see that the things I give these lesser creatures, I don't love them and an ounce in comparison to the amount of love that I show you. The amount of concern I have for you. The amount that I provide for you. And so listen, when we worry and are anxious, we are an affront to our Father. Let me illustrate this. This last week, my son Joshua, he... He's the eight-year-old, justice-oriented son. And, and he has some sort of, we haven't figured it out yet. No doctor will, will prescribe a, a medicine for it. We wish you'd come up with something. But Joshua has a blood sugar issue of when I'm hungry, I will, will pour out my wrath and indignation on all around me. That's Joshua's issue. And so in the car ride, knowing that the hour of lunch has come, Joshua announces, Dad, I'm hungry. To which I say, Son, I know we're going to find a place. But Dad, I'm hungry now. Yes, I understand, son. And I know it is the time for lunch. We will get something. But don't you care about me, Dad? Don't you know how hungry I am? I've never been this hungry in my entire life. And here's the thing. He's telling the truth. 
That's how hungry, that, that's where the kid's living. He, he just, I mean, it's been so long, Dad, since we ate breakfast. And it wasn't even that good of a breakfast. <laughs> to which I announced to him, son, your father knows. I get it. I've heard you. I know. I know what time it is. I know how long it's been since breakfast. But dad, you're not doing anything about it. To which I remind him, son, have you ever gone hungry? To which he responds, never before today. Here's the idiocy of my son's argument. He knows he's going to eat, right? He knows it. If he would just look back, he would know that his old man has provided for him all the food and all the drink. He's not hungry. He's been clothed. He has everything that he needs. And when we choose to worry and be anxious, we forget the goodness of God in our lives. But here's another thing that I had to learn. And it happened on my trip. You see, I had to learn how to receive. I I have an uncle who I went to visit. And my uncle is an incredible, generous man. We used uh, some reward miles that we had to to travel down there. And and when I got down there, my uncle said, put your wallet away. I don't want to see it out again. And I had to, every time the, the bill would come, and my uncle took us to wonderful places to eat, and, and he has his own son that lives down there with their family, and, and I'd, as the check would come, I'd pull out my wallet, and he'd get offended with me. Put your wallet away. I'm hosting you. And I was worried about it, and I was counting up, man, this is what I owe my uncle, and I've I got to figure out how to take care of this, and, and i got to figure out how to, how to do this. And, And what he reminded me of is he made a comment. He says, you're in my state now. It's all on me. And here's the truth that I had to remember that likens me to my own son in the backseat of the car. We're on God's planet. And he has taken the responsibility on himself that he'll take care of all of our needs. And what we need to stop worrying about is how we're going to pay for it and how we're going to figure it out and how we're going to take care of it in the end. And God is sitting there going, hey, you're on my planet. You're on my clock. You're on my time. I have one thing for you, and this is what my uncle said. Your job here is to relax. Your job here is to enjoy. God says something a little different. Your job is to seek my kingdom and my righteousness. Don't worry about anything else. And that's why it's unnecessary for us to worry. We've got a father who loves us, a father who provides for us, a father who wants to take care of us, that we have nothing to worry about because of our father in heaven. Notice it's unreasonable because of our faith. Verse 30 and 32. Notice it says that the pagans, in some translations, the Gentiles, that's everybody else, all of the other people, Oh, they've got much to worry about. Do you know your neighbors have much to worry about? Why? They have to go through this world. And they have to endure this life without a Father in heaven that they have a relationship with. Oh, they've got a lot to worry about. What will happen when they take their last breath? There is much to worry about. 
But we have the solace that absent from the body, we are present with our Lord. There is nothing to worry about. What can man do to us if God is with us and God is for us? Then who in the world can be against us? What do we have to worry about? And you see what Jesus is saying here in verses 30 through 32 is the following. Not only is it unnecessary and unfaithful, It is absolutely unreasonable for you and I to worry as Christians because of the God whom we serve. And here's the thing. You will never be able to evangelize your world if you're worried about things. And here's why. What is the gospel? The gospel is that which takes away all our worries. And so when people see Christians, they should not hear, well, I'm really worried about this, and what's going to happen here, and oh my gosh, what's going to happen there, and oh my, and oh my, and what are we going to do, and, what? and all of that. Why? Because we have a God, a big God. And he's a God who takes care of all that. He's the God who says, I want you to hurl your anxieties and hurl your worries onto me because I care for you. What care do you have that you're unwilling to give to Jesus? Give it to him and rejoice in the fact that you have a God who knows you and loves you and provides for you. And that is what makes us different than the world around us. We have someone who is on our side who says you don't need to worry. So how do we do it? How do we fight this enemy? Let me close with this. We've got to fight worry to prevent failure. If you don't get this down, you will fail. You will fail in this life because you will be more concerned about your worries than concerned about honoring God. So what do you need to do? Number one, you must declare a system of priorities. It begins by articulating something, and that is, I am going to, notice verse 33, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That my only goal, when worry comes, I'm going to say, God... I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to serve you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you my life. And I'm going to live according to that. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I ain't going to worry about it. But here's what God tells us. Christ teaches us. He says, when you do that, when you put Christ as your focus and his kingdom as your focus, notice he doesn't say, well, just don't worry about your worries. It's just dumb. I mean, just try to think good thoughts and you'll get beyond the dumb thoughts that you have of worry. Notice what he says. You put me in the right spot, I'll take care of the rest. So the only thing, if I can, the only thing you need to be worried about is honoring God. And when you honor God, you got no other worries to worry about. When you serve your master well, you don't have anything to be concerned about. So you've got one job. I always tell my children, kids, you got one job. That is to obey mom and dad. The rest is taken care of. Just obey mom and dad. And if you got that, your first 18 years are going to go really well for you. But if you don't do that, it's going to get really hard for you. And Christian, the only thing you and I have to worry about is honoring God and putting Christ first. First, first, and first. His kingdom and his righteousness. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. But you've got to be willing to set that system of priorities up in your life. And until you do, you'll be dealing with this stuff on your own. Number two, it involves developing a strategic program. 
Therefore, verse 34 says, do not worry or be anxious. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So how do we set up our program? It's not enough just to say, God, you're going to be number one. How do you begin to do it? Well, you can't dwell on tomorrow's stress. Some of you are worried about tomorrow. You're worried about that test. You're worried about that deadline. You're worried about that uh, uh, check that's going to go through, and there's not a month money to cover it. And you're worried about that stuff. You can't dwell on that. Number two, you can't dwell on yesterday's mess. For some of you, you're looking back to this last week and the garbage that has been filled with your week, and, and you're dwelling in on that. Well, the, it's in the past, and And that which is in the past is in the past. And that which is in the future is in the future. So what in the world as Christians do we do? Write this down in as big a letters as you can on your sheet of paper. Here is the program that you need to understand. And you will have it down. And it is simple. Here it is. Worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Well, Tim, where did you get that? My friend, his name's Paul, told me this. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, what fills in the word anything? Anything. It's all-inclusive. Whatever is bothering you, whatever is concerning you, whatever is vexing you, whatever is causing you pain and sorrow, stop being anxious about it. Stop worrying about it. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? Pray about it. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Can I tell you, if you're worrying about it, you ain't praying about it. And so you say, well, Tim, how do I get rid of worry? You start praying. Well, some of you say, well, that's too hard to do. Well, fine, die in your worries. Or, as a Christian, give it to God. And what does God promise in that passage, that famous Philippian passage? That the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's what we need from worry. We need peace. When do worries go away? away? When we worry about something, those worries go away when everything turns out okay, right? God says, even before you know if those things are going to turn out to be okay or not, I'm going to give you peace. And, and it's going to transcend all the understanding. You may have the world coming down upon you, and, and, and I'm going to give you my peace. You are going to be at peace with these things. And I know that worry is a difficult enemy, so I'm going to guard your heart and your mind. Why? Because those are the two things that worry encounters. Worry encounters our hearts and our minds, and it trips us up. And God says, I'm going to give you the peace that transcends all that. It's going to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So if you're going to worry about something, it'd be better for you as a Christian to give it over to Jesus and to pray about it. And that means we need to get on our knees and we need to pray, Lord, Lord, you know I'm concerned about this, but I'm giving it to you. I'm going to allow you to be responsible because you're the one who owns it. You're the one who rules it. You're the one who provides for it. So I'm giving it to you. So what's concerning you? What's, what are you worried about? What's causing you anxiety? Is it a health report? Is it that job? Is it your money? Is it your family member? Is it a bad marriage? Is it a broken relationship? What is it? Give it to God. 
Even if it casts a large shadow over your life, don't let it rob you of your sleep and fill your days with pain and sorrow. Paul says that we are to give it all to him. Peter says because he cares for us. He's our father. That is, he is to be our only focus. And he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's the only one, he's the only one who can take away our anxiety and replace it with peace. So give it to him and let him guard your heart and mind with the peace of God. Are you going to worry or are you going to trust Jesus? That's your assignment this week, to make a decision. And I will tell you, tomorrow's got plenty to worry about, so you better make that decision now and make it so that you can honor him even when the worries come. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would go before us from this place into this world of anxiety and worry, of stress. And we ask that you would put in our hearts the truth of this passage. Lord, every time we see a bird and every time we see a flower, remind us, Lord, that we have nothing to worry about. Remind us that your mercies are new each and every morning, that you are faithful. Remind us of that truth so that when tomorrow's worries come today, we may be able to say, Lord, whatever you have for me tomorrow, I will trust and I will obey you and you alone. So, Lord, I know the worries are big that are on my friends' hearts and minds. I know they're no small thing because I know that They wouldn't be worried about it if they were. And so, Lord, take these big things out of our lives. Lord, let us cast them on you. Knowing that you are more than able to accomplish what concerns us today. And tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow. So that we might focus in on the one thing that you have for us. To strive after, to seek, to to work in all our hearts to seek after your kingdom and your righteousness. So, Lord, we know what our marching orders are, and we know what we can't take with us in this battle, and that is worry and anxiety. So we give it to you, knowing you are able to handle it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.